welcome to Camp Radio, a podcast of TN Baptist Camps, the official camps and conference centers of the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board. Join us as we sit down with church leaders to discuss relevant trends and issues for today's church. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's dive into a new episode of Camp Radio. Welcome to Camp Radio. My name is Kevin Peerage and I'll be your host today. Today, our society is really being bombarded with cyber attacks each day, and the uh, local church is not immune to those attacks. And so that's what we want to talk about today during our podcast. We have with us uh, Doug Finch. He is the, uh, you know, correct me, I don't always know the titles. I know you're in technology services. I'm assuming it's technology services uh, specialist. Director. Director. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Yeah, he's with the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board. We're good friends. He takes care of all all of us, our computers, everything. We could not run, function, do anything without him. So he is valuable to not only Carson Springs and Linden Valley, but all the convention as well of how the specialists just conduct work. We couldn't do it without him. So, Doug, thank you for taking a few minutes just to talk about these important things. Let's just talk a little bit about you. Tell me about yourself. Well, I've been with the TBMB for a little over three and a half years. Came from a more of a commercial background, and I've been married for 29 years to my high school sweetheart. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a unicorn these days, I think, to, to be able to say that. But we've known each other way longer than not known each other. Yeah. So that's a good thing. Yeah. We've got two kids. I've got a 26-year-old who is in ministry, full-time ministry. He is a family pastor in Nashville mm-hmm. to Bellevue Baptist Church. I've got a daughter who is 21, going on 35, who is an architecture major at Mississippi State. So she is going into her fourth year. Anyway, yeah, so we're super proud of, of both of them. Yeah. We're thrilled. I mean, I'm just so glad to see the Lord moving mightily in my family. So it's a good thing. Now, your background is in this secular world of working with IT. What What's the extent of that? So I've been in IT for over 25 years, and I started way back in the young days of the internet. I was started off writing code. I've done everything from you know building websites and hacking through things to managing multinational, geographically dispersed development teams. Mm-hmm. I've worked in every operating system. You can imagine from Sun Solaris, Unix, SCO Unix, those are names you don't even hear anymore. They don't exist anymore. From all the way to Linux, Mac OS, and Windows. I've worked in the private sector. I've worked in the government sector. I've worked in the enterprise class. I've worked in healthcare. I've worked for IT startups, and now I'm in the nonprofit sector. Right. So, and this is the most terrifying of all. <laughs> so, uh, I've seen dot com era explode, hmm. uh, and then I've also seen the dot bomb era happen, hmm. and I've seen uh, I've seen a lot of things. So, that's that's kind of the thirty thousand foot view of where I've been and what I've done. Yeah. So. Well, let's get, just kind of dive into this. This is a, you know, it, this is different. Our world has changed so much, especially as we become more technically savvy. Everything functions on some computers or cell phones or, uh, you know, just it's, it's become a, an easy uh, ease for us, but it's been someone creates this and then there are people who want to use this to hurt other people too. And so we live in that world. We, we, we live in a world that's good and evil. And so the Internet and technology is part of that, too. So you know, we, we think about all that's going on. We think about cyber attacks. That's only if, if the government uh, experiences that. But it's a lot more than that, isn't it? It is. And, you know, it's interesting because in those younger days of the Internet, you know, we would build things and we wouldn't even consider. I mean, security was always a consideration, but it was kind of a final thought of, oh, yeah, we should do this, too. And so you would build a server, you would harden it pretty much and you would put it out there and you were good to go. The world we live in today is extremely different. It is one where if you are not doing your A game all the time, that you are going to be a headline that you don't want to be. And, you know, you hear the old adage that, you know, we have to be right all the time. They only have to be right once. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's unfortunately true. And so there are some rudimentary things that everybody must do. But uh, for any IT professional, I mean, there's just, it's a growing laundry list of things that we have to do just to keep things secure. And, you know, it's 
it's an unfortunate necessity, though. I know right now that uh, you sent an email out to us just recently, one of many that uh, I think Microsoft has had some issues that they've trying to yep. deal with. And, but this is not the first time. Oh, Microsoft is always under the attack. Yeah. Always. So the problem with Microsoft is that we're every, there's not a computer that's not has some sort of Microsoft element to oh, it. Oh, you're right. right. I mean, I've got an, an iPad here that has uh, Office products on it. I've got a iPhone here that has Office products on it. You've got a MacBook there that has Office products on there. And, you know, when they attack Microsoft, they don't just attack the operating system of Microsoft. They don't just attack Windows. They, they go after everything. And this latest round went after every operating system currently and previously in use by Microsoft and the Office 365 products, which is their largest product on the market right now. So, so what's the goal? These guys, uh, and they're mostly from probably from a lot of it is state sponsored. So, yeah. it's, you know, it's, I mean, you've got this, I hate to rephrase a, an old expression, but you've got this axis of evil out there. Mm-hmm. You've got, you've got China, you've got Russia, you've got North Korea, and you've got Iran. And those countries are, seeking to gain knowledge anywhere that they can. They're mm-hmm. seeking to gain entry anywhere that they can. And of course, it's easy if they can get into something that Microsoft has built, then they've got an easy inroad into everything else. Mm-hmm. But you know, we see these kinds of attacks all the time. There are breaches daily, mm-hmm. literally daily. And, and people, when they do these breaches, I mean, they're gathering information. I think probably we have some listeners who are thinking, well, I have nothing to hide. I mean, what would they want from me? But they track what we, in our country, what they think, what they buy, what they do, who they're connected with, and all this information that they're looking for some way to get in, to gain some knowledge, to be able to benefit them as someone, right? Again, there's a litany of reasons why somebody would want to hack into you. And I mean, you, you might think it's your, with your home network, well, why would anybody care anything about this? I don't, I don't have anything. I don't do online banking, so I don't have anything on my computer that's of any interest to anybody. But the fact is, you might. You might check your work email from home every once in a while. You might actually log into your you know, corporate VPN. You might do something that every once in a while you get in and check your bank account information. So there, you know, there's always an opportunity for somebody to breach either your home network or your work network or something like that. But one aspect of, of these ne'er-do-wellers out there is the social, social engineering part of it. And so one of the latest things that we're seeing, hackers will, will recycle old tactics over and over and over again. And in the old days of the internet, the early, early days, social engineering was a big part. Mm-hmm. And so we saw where hackers would make phone calls. They would try to, you know, hey, I'm Dave from IT. I need to uh, reset your password. Can you tell me which current password is? Mm-hmm. And, you know, some mm-hmm. unsuspecting employee gives them their password. Mm-hmm. So now we're starting to see where hackers are taking the time to build a rapport with employees and not ask for anything up front. And once they've gained the trust of those employees, then they'll send them an innocuous email that says, hey, you know, we're we're rolling out whatever it is. Could mm-hmm. be, you know, like we just sent an email out about multi-factor authentication. We're, we're resetting everybody's multi-factor authentication. We need you to click on this link and then re-authenticate. Yeah. Well, you don't think anything about it because you know Dave from IT. You've been talking to him for three weeks now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's helped you on some. He helped you fix your printer, right? And uh, isn't that funny that a hacker would do that? But this is what they're doing, mm. and they're infiltrating from the outside through social engineering. Mm. And so you click on that link, and and what's worse about this new round of attacks is that you know everybody fears ransomware, right? Mm-hmm. This new round of attack. They're actually, the link will drop a piece of malware on your computer that will then replicate in a a quiet manner, very subdued manner. And once it replicates, it changes every 15 minutes. Wow. And it begins exfiltrating all of your data off your computer. Hmm. And then when it's done, it cleans itself off. Wow. And so you don't even realize it happened. Yeah. And so what this person is doing is they're looking to gain information, gain intelligence so they, they can get a bigger fish. Yeah. And then once they get that bigger fish, then who knows what they're going to get. And a lot of times they're just trolling. They don't know, you know, what, 
you know, what kind of treasure they're going to find. Mm-hmm. Maybe they get all the way up to the CEO. Maybe they get, you know, the CFO and they can get some money out of it. Right. So, so for those who don't know what ransomware is, explain it to us. So ransomware is, uh, is, is nothing but nothing short of evil. Uh, mm-hmm. It actually goes through and encrypts all of the files on your computer and then it reboots your computer. And upon rebooting, is when that that encryption locks out your computer and you get this message that says, you know, all of your files are encrypted. You know, they're using a level of encryption that you cannot break uh, without a decryption code. To get the decryption code, you have to pay them Bitcoin. They use Bitcoin as one of many cryptocurrencies out there and they use that so that it's untraceable. Mm -hmm. And once you pay that, then supposedly they give you the decryption key. And many times they do actually give the decryption key and, you know, you're able to decrypt your files, Mm -hmm. but the warning is, well, they're still in there. Yeah. And so you got your files today, but, you know, 30 minutes from now, they may re-encrypt your files or next week when you think everything's good, you know, or you don't know what they've exfiltrated in the process, what they've taken from you in the process. And so, you know, the, the word from the FBI is don't ever pay them. Of course, that's an easier said than done right. things sometimes because if you are a company that's dealing with uh, your intellectual property mm-hmm. and it's how you make your living, sometimes it's easier to pay a hundred thousand dollars than it is to to sit there and try to play hardball. And here's the other side of that coin too. When it comes to ransomware, most times, and this again is according to the uh, FBI cyber crimes uh, statistics. I say most times when you see a ransomware attack, the bad guy has already been in your network for up to anywhere from 90 days to 180 days. Oh, wow. And you don't even know it. Yeah. So what they're doing is they're researching. These people are not lazy. Right. They are they are driven. Yeah. Uh, whether it's by state-sponsored, you know, whip cracking or whether it's by, you know, greed and mm-hmm. and money groveling. But they will be in your system for months without you even knowing it. And they're doing a, a reconnaissance of what you can afford to give. Mm. And so they will not barter with you. If they say, no, you're going to give me a million dollars, they already know you've got the money. Right. And they'll hold you hostage until yeah. you until you squeal. So. Yeah. So that's just one way. There's many other ways. Oh, say. many. I, I know you made a, a statement uh, not too long ago. I think we were there in one of our staff meetings. You were talking about, you said that th- these people make a make a living off of this. Make a very good living. Yeah. And, and I, I don't know if I share with you. I don't, don't think I did. I had a conversation with, you know, how on instant messenger, sometimes you just get, or, or text, you get this message from one of your friends that's, that's on your phone. It just says, hi. Well, immediately I know it's it's a hacker, mm-hmm. and usually if you respond, they'll respond by some kind of selling you about something. And so I got one a couple months ago and said hi, and I responded by saying, "Do you not feel guilty about taking advantage of other people by this way?" And they responded to me, and we had a long conversation about that. And what did they say? Well, they said they had to make a living. <laughs> And they said I had to. This is yeah. they don't have any any yeah. other means in which to to make money. And of course, they must be making a lot of money to be able to do it. But uh, you know, and I end up sharing sharing the gospel with them. And you know, I don't know how far that. And they they said thank you. And then they said, can you still give me some money? I said, well, no, I'm not going to give yeah. you any money. But there are people out there. There, that's how they make a living, or in somewhere in this world, mm-hmm. you know. And so the, the reality is, Kevin, the Internet that we see, the Google, the Yahoo, the ESPN, you know, that's that's a very small part of what's actually going on in the Internet. We have the other areas of the Internet, the deep and the dark web, which, you know, you've probably heard people talk about before. This is where all the underworld stuff goes goes on. This is where all the unsavory things that really is the Internet take place. And so many of these people like who you were interacting with, they are at the mercy of somebody else. And so I want you to just imagine if you were in North Korea and, you know, you were being told this is what you will do. You don't really have a choice in it. It doesn't make it any better on our side. And they view us as being the wealthiest nation in the world, which we are. They view us as having that disposable, you know, income and it's not going to really hurt us. And But still, you know, they're at the mercy of somebody else. Now, that's one type of hacker. The other type is the organized crime hacking. These people 
are a whole different level of evil. These people don't care. The bad things that go on behind the scenes range everywhere from human trafficking, kidnapping, to drugs, prostitution, you know, hired killings. I mean, it, it's just endless. It's, it's really, really bad. And it doesn't take you very long to dig into it to see, okay, this is really, really bad. Well, let's talk about how this affects the church, because I, I know our listeners are thinking, okay, so how does that impact me in some way? I think we already kind of talked about that. They can easily get go to a website that they normally go to and, and get you know some kind of software or uh, an email or a text message or something like that. So how how do our pastors and our uh, uh, church Tennessee Baptist protect themselves from all this? So one of the questions I get asked a lot from churches is why would an attacker care anything about attacking my church network? I mean, we're a small church. We've got two computers in here, or we've got one computer in here. We have, whether you realize it or not, we've filled our our churches and our homes with network connected devices, and you don't even realize it. You look and you get, well, you say, well, I've got one computer over here. Well, you've got one computer. I've got an iPad. I've got a phone. You've got a phone. We've got, we've got, you know, four devices right here. And you only think about the one that is a computer. So we filled ourselves with every kind of network connected thing out there. And a lot of us have an Alexa or we have a Google Home or we have the ring cameras on our front door, or we have an internet connected refrigerator, which I still haven't quite figured that one out yet. (laughs) But, uh, you know, so we have all of these, it's called the internet of things. And so we have all of these devices that are connected to the same network as our computer is. And so 43% of all cyber attacks are against small businesses, Hmm. 43%. So that's nearly half. Yeah. And of that percentage, nearly half of those, 43%, are nonprofits that are being attacked. And so that's a pretty large percentage of all of the attacks, and that's worldwide. And so why would somebody want to do that? The problem is, is that they view us as easy targets. They view most churches as an easy target because they realize they do not have an IT staff or you know, things are just kind of cobbled together. This is why most attacks or many of these attacks are against small businesses. It's the same scenario. Mm-hmm. You know, you got a mom and pop shop that are just trying to make a living. And so they happen to have a computer because today you have to have a computer. And so they've done the best that, well, they got it to print and they got it to connect to the internet. And that's all that they worry about. And they say, well, I've got a Mac. And so I don't need to worry about antivirus on there. Well, brother, those days are gone. Yeah. Those days are gone. So... What are some of the things that we need to do to to secure some things? And so for if you have an IoT device like a, an Alexa or Google Home or any of those devices, uh, the Roombas, one of the things that I do here, because we do actually have some of those devices within TBMB, mm-hmm. believe it or not, I create a separate network for them. And you may not be able to do that. Your network conditions may limit you on that, but I isolate those off to their own network so mm-hmm. that they cannot access anything within the on the corporate side. Yeah. But uh, at the very minimum, you need to go in and change default passwords. Do not ever on anything leave default passwords. If you've got a cable modem or, you know, I don't know if anybody still uses DSL or not, but if you've yeah. got a UVerse or whatever it is, you need to make sure that when that technician installs that, that they show you how to go in and change the default password. Mm-hmm. Don't let them change it. You need to change it. And they don't mm-hmm. need to be seeing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And it's not that a, a technician is, is a, you know, looking to do something wrong, but you need to safeguard this stuff. Mm-hmm. So there are a number of things that we should do to secure things for email. It is an absolute minimum requirement these days to set up multi-factor authentication. Mm. It's a hassle. Nobody likes it. But, you know, it's an unfortunate necessity that we do that. Well, and I can say that most everything we do through the convention, we have to do that. And and I think at the very beginning, with me personally, it was just very frustrating. But the more knowledgeable that I have become, especially because we have once once a week, usually some sort of video that you all send to us to help educate us about cyber attacks and that's really helped me so i don't i don't get you know frustrated i got i got to come back and use my phone to punch in another number to authenticate that that i'm really the right person 
I'm actually all right with that. You know, I know it takes extra time, but the knowledge really does help. And what you're talking about is awareness training. And that was something that we started doing. I think we started doing that a year and a half ago. And so basically what it is, is it's going through and just giving you the basics on a weekly basis of what you can do to be more secure, making sure that when you create a password for something that it is, we used to say eight characters long. Now it's 10 to 12 characters long minimum. Any new passwords that we create are much longer than that just because they, they need to be. They should be, you know, something that is random. It shouldn't be you know, it's uh, funny, I, I gave a talk on this uh, a couple months ago, and I just asked the question. I said, so everybody uses special characters in their in their passwords, right? Everybody kind of nodded. And I said, who in here uses an exclamation mark? Every hand went up. And I said, <laughs> who has the exclamation mark first? Half of them raised their hand. I said, who has the exclamation mark last? The other half raised their hand. I said, okay, who uses a letter for their first uh, character in there? I said, who uses a capital letter first? Every hand went up. I said, do you guys realize that there are charts out there on the internet that say these statistically are what most people use? And the second most popular special characters, which one? What do you think? Second most popular? Uh, a one? At, no, a special character okay. after oh, the exclamation oh, mark. Probably the... Uh, uh, the uh, um, the dollar sign. The dollar sign. The dollar oh. sign is the, which is uniquely American. Oh, huh. and so it automatically—it's just one of those things that hackers look at, and they do that. And I said, uh, and I, and I, I told the story about how uh, I was over at my my dad's house, and uh, I was helping him set up his Wi-Fi for him. And I said, well, I need to get into your old system so that I can see what your settings are. And uh, he's, you know, he's 85 years old. He's wandering around trying to figure out what the password is. And I said, it's his third wife. And I, I said, uh, I said, ask, uh, ask your wife, what, what's her son's name? He told me, I, I wrote it down. I said, what year was he born? Put it in there. And within two minutes, I was into her, oh, really? uh, into her network. Wow. Uh, and so this type of information, we think we're so smart and putting these things down. We use pet names. We use dates. We use all kinds of things. But it's so obvious what we use. And so when I tell people to do, to create passwords, um, you know, when I show them what a password looks like, they say, well, that, that's just random. It doesn't mean anything. I said, that's, that's exactly the right. That's the whole point behind it. So definitely do strong passwords. Definitely do uh, multi-factor authentication. I'll tell you something else that's big right now is um, uh, making sure that your family is safe online. Uh, these are two things that... Um, I don't know that people think enough about, but number one is uh, elder fraud. Elder fraud is huge right now. Why is it such an easy thing? Let me ask you a question. If your phone rings, you know, you, you and I are probably close to the same age. We won't say that what that is online, but if your phone rings, what do you do? Well, anymore, I don't even answer it. Well, you and I don't answer right. it. If your parents, if you're, you know, my dad, if his phone rings, he rushes to that phone to pick it up. And so hackers know that. And so they target senior citizens. And the first thing that they'll do is they call their phone. They look for a landline number and they call it because they know that somebody's going to answer it. And the next thing they do is they try to instill fear in them. And they say, we're calling, we're from the bank. There's a problem with your account. Yeah. So here you've got somebody who is on uh, a fixed income uh, who doesn't really know a whole lot about, you know, computer things or anything else. And they say, yeah, your, your account is down by about $5,000. Well, now your, your parents are, you know, they're freaking out. They don't know what's going on. Uh, my, my father-in-law called me. It was actually when we were up here, uh, with the uh, missions group, we were on our way back and, uh, he called me and he said, Hey, he said, uh, we we're in Knoxville and he says, uh, I've got the bank on the phone here and I've got a technician on the other line here. And I said, what are, you, what are we talking about? And he says, well, he says, they say I've got a problem with my bank account. And so I've got them on my computer and I've got the bank on the phone and he hands, hands his phone. He's at the bank. Yeah. Oh. He hands the phone to the teller and the teller says, I don't know what's going on. She says, but I think somebody's in his account. Oh, wow. And I told her, I said, lock it down. Yeah. I said, lock it down, change all of his passwords. I said, freeze his accounts. Mm -hmm. And uh, I could, I mean, over and over. I have talked to, to more senior citizens that said, 
Well, you know, Microsoft called me, yeah. and, I, and I always say, no, 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 no. Microsoft will never call right. you. They do not call you. And next thing they know is that their you know account's been drained and, and their money's been sent over overseas somewhere. So elder fraud is a huge thing. What do you do? You call the FBI. Yeah. You let them know about it. Call their bank. Uh, yeah. If you have the ability, go to the bank with them. Go inside. Tell them what's going on. I have found that even if you got a phone call from someone, if it's from Amazon or credit your credit card or something like that, or you get an email saying alert like that to say politely, well, I'll just, I'll have to do this later, hang up and then call them directly from the number you have and then talk to them. And, and that usually you, you know, if there's a problem or not, but you're right. I mean, your bank's not going to call you, uh, or ask, well, if they do call you, they're not going to ask for any passwords or anything like that. They'll probably say, could you come down to the bank? Uh, Amazon's not going to call and ask for passwords. None of those people will call those companies. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, my mother gets phone calls. My wife gets phone calls, texts, emails, talking about their accounts, and, and it scares them. And so, it terrifies yeah. them. And they've got all the reason in the world to be terrified. So, so the other one uh, is uh, when we talk about family um, awareness and family safety is child safety. Uh, so I, I see so many people today, they'll, they'll be – out about walking. I've seen, I saw this the other day. Um, uh, a guy was out with a stroller, little kid in the stroller. He's got his ear pods in his ears. He is talking away to somebody seemingly oblivious to the world around him. The child, and this child couldn't have been two or three years old in the stroller with an iPad sitting there swiping away on this thing like a pro, uh, just doing who knows what on there, you know, probably watching a kid's video or something. But but we just immediately hand these devices over to kids and we say, oh, it's okay, it's fine. Uh, and, and so a lot of these young parents now, they grew up with the internet, so they're not as wary of it as, as some of us that are a little bit older. But uh, online predators are, are a big deal. Uh, Cyberbullying is a big deal. I say 36% of kids between the ages of 12 and 17 have been have been bullied online. Uh, when we talk about uh, child predators, um, uh, girls make up 78% of the victims out there, um, and child victims can be anywhere from a, from a toddler to a teen. And uh, you know, and I have to go back to that that guy in the stroller. I'm not saying that he was endangering his child, but you know, when you just hand a a powerful computing device in the hands of a small child, you never know what's going to come up on the screen, you know? So girls make up 78% of the, of the child victims while the majority of the predators out there, 82% of which are male and 98% of child predators never actually have physical contact with the minors, but the damage is already done. And so, and it just, it's just the blink of an eye. Social media is another outlet for predators to gain access to your child. You don't know who you're talking to. I mean, you're looking at pictures and you think, oh, I'm talking to so-and-so. They're a kid my age. And you come to find out there's some creepy old old guy that's, uh, you know, trolling for kids on the Internet. Uh, so um, not only that, but exposure to inappropriate content. This this uh, this kind of shocked me when I when I ran across this statistic. It says, uh, from from pornography to extreme violence and everything in between, your children are completely 100% at risk on the Internet. 55% of kids ages 10 to 12 years old admit exposure to extreme violence and 60% admit to pornography. That's 10 to 12 years old. So, you know, know what your kids are doing. It's okay to take their device away. It's okay to put screen time limits on there. It's okay to say no you can only do this in front of me. You know, you're not going to go back in your bedroom and where I can't see what's going on. Right. And so, um, and it's all right to check your, your child's phone too. Absolutely. Each day. Absolutely. And there's, there are software that, uh, if they get an email or a text, you get it at the same time. So you can be very aware. I know, I know that's hard for parents because kids are struggling because they're, they're, their friends have, uh, social media and they're interacting with them and you know and but you, you, your job and what God has given you responsibility is to take care of those children. You know what we should be different from everybody else. 
we shouldn't be following the herd. We should be leading the charge. We shouldn't be just bowing to every uh, bit of peer pressure out there. I know uh, when my son was in school, uh, all of his friends had things that uh, that we wouldn't allow. We just simply wouldn't allow them to to take place. And now, many many years later, I'm very thankful that we were as uh, hardlined about some of those things as some of his friends' parents were. So, um, so you, I think you had asked about you know what can we do to uh, to to help shore some things up to make things safer. Um, and um, what I'd like to to do is just say, these are some things that you individually can do, whether it's uh, you at your church with, you know, you're the, the church secretary and this is the one computer in the building, or you're the pastor and you're the only one that's got a computer there, or, or whether it's at your home. I mean, the, the, the information is, is universal on that. So number one, um, you know, you need to go in and set a password. Uh, we talked about what a good password is versus uh, the grandchild's name with their birth date on there. Uh, so, you know, don't don't do that, but um, uh, just make sure that you've got a good, solid password, strong antivirus. We didn't really talk about antivirus too much, but um, as I said earlier, you know, the old days of, you know, a Mac uh, MacBook or Apple device not needing antivirus is, is no longer true. There are active, active exploits out there right now. Now, I will say this. Apple does a good job of uh, getting those patched quickly. But that also requires you to make sure that you patch them quickly. A lot of people are bad about keeping updates. Of course, you know here um, I'm pretty insane about making sure that things stay updated. But but antivirus. Uh, so there's tons of free antivirus out there, and I have an opinion about that. <laughs> <laughs> I think free antivirus is worth what you pay for it. So uh, um, antivirus is not very expensive. I think. You can buy um, packages now online. Uh, there's, you know, Trend Micro. There's uh, Norton, which is Semantic, which uh, is a good good one out there. There's a number of them out there. I think for, for $50 a year, you can get, you know, three to five computers covered uh, with antivirus. So it's very, very uh, inexpensive updates. I, I can't um, overstress the importance of keeping your computers up to date. Many times the um, the compromises that take place are because you either went to a website that had something malicious on it. Uh, and I don't mean a bad website. You could be going to a completely legitimate, benign website. And the banner ads that run on those websites, they'll hackers will they'll buy ad space and they'll buy 10,000 ad impressions and they'll inject 100 that are malicious. And so the website, they, they don't um, really know. They, they, they can't. They yeah. can't look through all this stuff. And, that, and so that could be on the online Bible app, or it could be. Or well, yeah. for uh, there was a <laughs> there was a funny, uh, not really funny. It was um, interesting. Uh, ESPN uh, about five or six years ago, they had, and of course there's tons of banner ads running on ESPN, and so they had some hackers that had bought a lot of ad space on there. And so they were just getting uh, just nailed to the wall over that one. But uh, so that's called a drive-by infection. And so if your computer's not updated and you happen to be on one of those sites and you happen to be one of the unlucky ones to get that banner ad, well, you may also be one of the unlucky ones to get an infected computer out of it. So so updates, updates, updates. I uh, And in fact, uh, according to uh, the FBI, um, they say that updates and strong passwords are the two best things that you can do to secure your computer. One of the things that we kind of uh, drive home with our security awareness training is don't click on the link. Think before you click. Uh, so you get an email in and I know some people, they just got an itchy trigger finger. They just cannot help but click on those links. And so you got to resist. I, I think I, I, I said in one email, mentally slap yourself. <laughs> just, just don't do it. Don't If you don't know who that email's from, don't click on the link. And I like what you said a minute ago. You know, you get an email that you think came from Amazon, but you're not really sure it came from Amazon. How about you just go open up a browser, type in www.amazon.com and go find out for yourself. You log into your account there and you'll know, you'll know. Uh, so, um, and in fact, I say that my dad got hit by some malware because he got a, a, a bogus email that was supposedly from Amazon. He went on and he bought something on there. It was a, I mean, it was a complete fake site. Yeah. He showed it to me and I couldn't tell it was a fake site. 
except that the characters used in the web address were just a little bit wrong. And it looked like it spelled Amazon, but they what they did was they used acrylic characters. So they used foreign characters in there, and it looked like an O in Amazon, but it wasn't an O. And so you look at that and you couldn't really tell. So, uh, so yeah, uh, so here's another one. I, I, I throw this out there because, uh, you know, we've all heard of the Nigerian uh, scam, the email scam that goes around. Uh, you know, what is that? How is that successful? You know, that thing generates about $700,000 a year in revenue really? for people, for scammers. You would think that there's not a breathing human being that has not heard of the Nigerian scam. And yet there's somebody out there who thinks, wow, I'm going to be a millionaire. If it seems too good to be true, it probably is. And I think scripture says something about those who rush for uh, quick riches too, right? So uh, lesson learned on that. But anybody that asks you to go out and buy a gift card, scratch off the, uh, you know, the little codes on there and take pictures of it and send it to them. You know, uh, what was it? Jeff Fox with it said, here's your sign. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, if you don't know that one by now, it's not legitimate. So, um, and, uh, let's see, I don't know. What other questions do you have for me here? Well, now just to have some idea for our listeners, how many attacks do, does the convention get a day? Oh my word. Um, just an email, uh, just an email, we are filtering out uh, just for the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board. Now, that's one small piece of, of what we have going on here, but uh, we're filtering out probably 55 to 60 percent of every single email coming in is just absolute garbage. This past month, um, in the past 30 days, about 1,200 malicious uh like malware infected emails uh, were filtered out. And I thought it was uh, interesting. Only one was actually uh, termed as a virus. So, you know, we think about viruses, we think, oh, viruses are kind of passe now. Uh, Everything is malware now. And malware embodies a lot of things, not just what a virus would embody. But uh, so uh, we, we have actively gone in and blocked uh, geographic uh, areas uh, from all of our firewalls so that uh, we're just at the very perimeter edge of our networks, uh, denying anything coming from North Korea, China, uh, Russia. Uh, when uh, the whole Ukraine war uh, started, uh, we had to go through uh, at the, uh, and we get all kinds of alerts from different cyber organizations that we are affiliated with uh, that say, you know, when, when Ukraine, when the whole Ukraine uh, war started off, they said, okay, Russian hackers are, uh, they're turning it into overdrive now. So we want, we suggest you go in and you just start blocking these things. I'm not going to state what those things are, but we, we literally just went in and just said, okay, deny access to all of these things. And this is not from us out. This is from out coming in. And so they can't even see, uh, they can't even see us at that point. So, um, but yeah, the attacks are constant. Uh, it is, it is perpetual. Um, there's not a moment. It's, it's hard to quantify how many attacks because they're, they're nonstop. And so, uh, but I will say this also, uh, as an interesting little side note, they are, uh, almost double whatever the quantity is. It's almost double on U.S. only holidays. So, for example, we just had the Fourth of July. Yeah. Uh, the attacks were double on the days preceding and following the Fourth of July, just because they assume nobody's going to be there. Yeah. The same is true for Thanksgiving. That Thursday and Friday, actually, usually that Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, are huge, huge attack days. And of course, that Friday is what? It's Black Friday. So. Definitely. And I usually send out an email to everybody prior to that just to say, hey, you know, be on your guard. This is what's going to happen. But, yeah, we definitely see an increase uh, during certain times of the year. Wow. Well, let's talk about AI. We hear about that. And and AI has been around for for a while, but uh, it's come more to the surface in our news now, I guess, because um, how much 
AI controls a lot of things. I've heard, I've I've listened to uh, several people about the topic, and so how does how do you see maybe what AI is playing in today and in the future, and why we should be concerned about it? Well, as far as AI goes, there's um, there are a lot of different uh, directions we can go when we talk about that. For me, one of the uh, more frightening things today uh, is that, of course, when you anything that's created has the potential to be used for uh, for good or bad. Okay, and so these um, these threat actors out there uh, they've looked at things like Chat GPT. And uh, that's a, you know, it's interesting what they've created. Okay, so they basically, um, they've basically crawled the entire internet and they've just said ingest every single thing that you can. And then they've got these algorithms that, that mimic human thinking or mimic the way that we, uh, we function. Uh, so what these threat actors have done is they have figured out a way to craft a completely benign email. So they send it to you. It gets through your security because it's benign. It makes a call to a chat GPT engine that they have circumvented. They've circumvented the the security controls on it. Okay. Uh, And there are security controls that prohibit chat GPT from generating code for people. Well, they've circumvented that so that chat GPT then is able to generate malicious code on the fly that is then sent right back through that remote call to your computer. And so it's a spin the wheel like Vanna White wheel of which which uh, vulnerability do you want to uh, inject on them? Do you want to put a Trojan on there so that you can have a backdoor access? Or do you want to do a denial of service attack? Or do you want to do, uh, you know, do you want to drop ransomware on there? Do you want to do a, let's go for all of the above for $200? I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy what, what you can do, but they have figured out how to do this. And this thing, what makes this even more nefarious is that it's almost impossible to see because it is polymorphic in the fact that every single instance of it is unique. 100% 100% unique. So, so anything that is a signature-based security uh, is never going to see it, and you'll never know what hits you. And so, uh, the makers of ChatGPT they they claim to have you know put more safeguards in place, but this was just three weeks ago that I read this. Uh, so that's one aspect of it. You know, I'm I'm not as uh, disturbed by the the AI bots out there, and I mean I I, I think that's uh, more, uh, we'll see what, what becomes of that. Um, but the, the nefarious activities out there really bother me. I tell you the one that really bothers me the most, and this is the one that I think you're going to start to see. In fact, we're already starting to see some of it is the, what they call the deep fakes. Have you, have you heard of a deep fake? So a deep fake basically, so a deep fake is where you've got, um, I'm going to put this in layman terms. You've got a deep fake server, and then you've got um, a, a 3D modeling server. And so what they do is because our society is so uh, narcissistic, <laughs> we like to video ourselves everywhere and post everything up to every ounce of social media we can. There is just limitless uh, resources for somebody to clone you virtually. And so there are videos out there on YouTube floating around uh, with Morgan Freeman uh, talking, and it's not really Morgan Freeman. But when you look at the video and you go, my goodness, I can't even tell that that's not Morgan Freeman. And so here's what here's what the uh, the threat analysts are saying. Now, they're saying that this is going to become a real threat real soon, because let's say that um, let's say that I call up, uh, you know, the CFO and say, hey, I need uh, you to, you know, have accounting drop $25,000 into this account because we've got to pay this uh, IT bill. Okay, that's fine. Well, what if somebody's eavesdropping on my phone call, which that kind of stuff's not that hard to do. But what if somebody's eavesdropping on my call and they take my voice and now they're modeling that? Okay. And as soon as I hang up, they call that CFO back. And it's somebody talking into a microphone, just like I am, but 
the CFO is hearing on his end Doug's voice. And Doug says, no, 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 it's not 25000 It's actually 35000 And I gave you the wrong account number. It needs to go over here instead. So we actually, I actually know somebody that had this happen. And I was talking to him. He was a cyber uh, cybersecurity expert. And he was, he was working this case. He didn't, of course, didn't disclose who it was. But he said, if he told me the name, I'd know instantly who it was. And he said that uh, this company... Uh, there, everything got exfiltrated or not exfiltrated, infiltrated. Uh, everything got, got breached in there. He said they could not trust their phone systems. They couldn't trust their email. They couldn't trust their computer systems. And so what had happened was they had a transaction that had to take place, a regular transaction. CFO called the person, uh, in pay in AP that, that makes the payments said, I need you to go ahead and put $250,000 in this account so we can go ahead and pay this off within a minute. The CFO called them back. I'm doing air quotes right now and said, no, 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 no. I gave you the wrong account number. It's this account number and it's $300,000. The person paid the check. The CFO gets, uh, you know, goes back an hour later, looking at his email, sees, oh, why did we pay $300,000 for this? Yeah. Walks over, talks to the person accounting. They said, you called me back and said to do this. He said, no, I did not. And that's when they brought in the cyber people. So what they told him was they said, Everything is compromised. We don't know what it is. I mean, we all have smart TVs in our conference rooms now. We have smart cameras in our conference room now. We have uh, we have everything we own has a camera and a microphone on it now. And they're saying, we don't know what's been breached. And so they're having them go out. They're having to put their phones into a box and walk out into the stairwell where there are no cameras, no microphones, no nothing to have conversations. And so, um, you know, imagine if you will, we have a Zoom call. Are you talking to me or are you talking to somebody else that looks like me and sounds like me? And this is where we're going. And so now they're saying that we need to even look at the possibility of putting it. Well, we definitely need to look at putting a policy and procedure in place that says, you know, OK, we can't afford to lose more than, you know, say a hundred dollar transaction or a thousand or ten thousand, whatever your organization is. Anything above that, we're going to have to do it like a sign countersign type thing where I'm going to have to call you back and we're going to have to have a safe word that we know, you know, I don't know what that word might be, you know, uh, avocado or watermelon or (laughs) work it into a sentence somehow. But, uh, you know, I'm going to say, Kevin, uh, you know, where was the first place I met you, you know, three years ago? And if you can't answer that, then I'm going to say this is not Kevin because I just don't know who I'm talking to anymore. And uh, that's, that's the part of AI that, that does bother me. And to go back to those two servers I was talking about. So what happens is they take your, your, your social media feeds, your videos, all the stuff that we've thrown out there on the internet. And they just feed all of that into this 3d modeling system. And it's, it's 3d modeling and audio both. And this thing will generate a video representation of you. It'll dump it over to this, uh, this deep fake uh, analyzing server. And the analyzing server will will run it through its algorithms. And if it determines that that's a fake, it sends it back. And then when it sends it back, it goes through another set of, uh, you know, uh, running, uh, you know, to, to refine it, make it better. Then it spits it back over and it checks it again. And it keeps going until the deep fake server can't tell that it's a fake anymore. And uh, so there are there are a litany of different, uh, you know, videos out there on the Internet. And, you know, some of them you can tell some of them you can't tell, uh, you know, that it's it's a fake. But I'm just telling you, we're we're just scratching the surface on this. Well, I can see this easily having uh, a parent receive a phone call from they think that's their son needing some money. And to uh, you know, uh, forward some money to them, or or get a, 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 a church member gets a phone call from their pastor. Hey, uh, there's this uh, need. Uh, this uh, this family needs some some money. Uh, here, can you forward some money to me so I can make sure? Yeah, I could see that happening. Well, yeah. Or what if somebody just wanted to you know um, desecrate a um, a pastor's good name? and imitate them online saying things that they never said sure. or what. I mean, it could be very simple like that. And, and it d- doesn't take much to do that nowadays. Yeah. I, I like to say that I feel much better after we've had this yeah, conversation, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say this and I, you know, I, uh, we, we have team meetings every week and every week uh, we, we talk about all this stuff in our meeting 
and I try to end every week with scripture and I try to try to wrap up with, uh, we do typically some short devotional type thing. And my thing is, you know, what greater is he that's in me than he's in the world? You know, this stuff, it terrifies, uh, me, uh, to death. I mean, it really does when I think of the, the potential, but it doesn't terrify God. You know, he is my strong tower. He is my shield. I am not, uh, I, I am, I am not, uh, afraid of, uh, the works of the enemy here. Uh, it's, uh, it's unfortunate. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and honestly, we hadn't even talked about this, but some of the things that I do on a daily basis, I pray for this organization and I pray, I actually pray over, uh, our systems here. And I say, Lord, you know, these we're, we're here to do kingdom work. We're not here to, uh, you know, to be a uh, fodder for the enemy out there. And so, Lord, I'm asking for you to just protect, protect what we're doing here as we seek to serve you in everything, every, every way that we possibly can. And so, uh, so, so far, um, you know, we have not had any, any issues, but, uh, you know, uh, if they come, we'll, we'll deal with them. Then, yeah. So, well, Doug, I really appreciate you taking a few minutes just to share about this. This is some very important information and, uh, I know you could probably, we could talk for, for much longer. We've actually, this is a long podcast, but there's a lot of information that our churches, our pastors need to know and to share that with their, their congregation too. And I'm sure that you are available for any, oh, absolutely. any of our churches in Tennessee. I'll just tell you, if, if anybody has any issues, um, you know, maybe you've had a, a, a ransomware attack or maybe you've had uh, something, you know, go wrong or maybe you're trying to preempt that by saying, you know, I think we should be doing more. I am always available and, uh, you know, I, I may not be the final resource that you need, uh, but I can get you connected. I have some uh, very solid people that I've known and worked with for many years, even before TBMB that I still work with that I have a deep respect for that, uh, that, you know, would be more than happy, uh, to, uh, to reach out and, and, and work with these churches. So yeah, we are here as a resource. Uh, we will always be a resource. And so, uh, it is never, never an imposition for somebody to reach out and call me and, or shoot me an email or, or whatever, and, and we're happy to do it. Great. Well, I appreciate you being here. For those who are listening to us, if you're listening to us on uh, Spotify or Audibles, well, won't you leave a comment and just like us that help from others that can re- see this great resource or hear this great resource as well. If you have any questions for Doug or what we do at TM Baptist Camps, please send us an email at carsonpodcast.tnbaptist.org. Until next time, I hope that you look for opportunities to share Christ with someone that you know. Thank you for listening to Camp Radio, a podcast of TN Baptist Camps. The ministries of Carson Springs and Linden Valley are supported through the cooperative program and gifts received through the Golden Offering for Tennessee Missions. For more information, visit tnbaptistcamps.org or you can email us at carsonpodcast at tnbaptist.org.